Welcome to the Activist Insights podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by our magazine, Activist Insights Monthly. I'm Kieran Paul, and in today's episode, I'll be joined by the magazine's editor, Jason Booth, to go through the April edition. Activist Insight Monthly's April 2021 issue explores activism in the consumer sector, how personnel moves among top advisors show the industry hasn't lost any of its lustre, why European company boards should be worried about homegrown agitators, and how an activist quartet is advertising a well-thumbed playbook for big changes at department store Coles. Elsewhere in the magazine, we look at Warrior Met Coles' vulnerability to activist demands and why Muddy Waters' research going after XL Fleet, with accusations of inflated projections and a false narrative, is yet another hit against SPACs. Subscribers can get their copy now on our website. You can also, though, get a free trial if you're not yet a subscriber. So Jason, before we get into the magazine, what have you been working on this week? Well, we're obviously preparing for the next magazine, which would be coming out in May. And the feature article for that is going to be on so-called network effect, that over the years, uh, several of the big activist funds have seen some of their key employees spin out and start their own funds, which are now becoming more active. So we're going to be looking at those and seeing how the networking effect influences activist campaigns and where it may be heading from here. We're also going to be doing a profile of a rather pugnacious fight between Blue Cora, the uh, financial services company, and their investor, Ancora. Now, despite the names, they are not uh, related, but it's very much turning into a sort of a family feud with very personal attacks from each side against the other, with Ancora demanding that Blue Cora spin off some of its assets and replace some of its management team. So that's the May issue, which we can all look forward to. Now let's take a look at the April edition. So the feature this month is on why consumer-focused companies are so popular with activist investors. Can you explain why that is, especially when the pandemic hit the sector so hard? Well, the pandemic had an interesting effect in that last year it looked like much of the sector was in serious trouble. Shops were closed, restaurants were closed, people were staying home, they were buying less, apparently. But as it turns out, it's really become a great opportunity for activists because stock prices fell dramatically, providing opportunities to buy in at depressed prices. And it also um, differentiated between those companies that were able to weather or actually profit from the changes in the market environment and those that couldn't. And activists are always looking out for divergence like that and targeting the companies that have failed to perform. But the reality is, is that consumer companies have always been popular targets for activists. And while last year you saw a drop in the number of campaigns against the sector in comparison to other sectors, traditionally it's been the most popular sector with about 20 to 25 percent of all campaigns. Now, there are several reasons for that. One is, as we know, it's a difficult industry to, uh, to manage. Costs are very hard to control. There's a lot of competition. Online retail has really disrupted a lot of the brick-and-mortar companies. And uh, so there's usually a lot that needs to be done with these companies. And also, you know, a lot of these activists, they, they know retail and they know the consumer market better than others personally because many of them actually started in the industry. You know, Starboard Values, uh, Jeff Smith at Starboard Value, he's, 
he started his business career working for his father, who uh, ran a juice company. The most striking example is Nelson Peltz of Tryon, who began his career many years ago driving a truck for his family business, which was delivering produce to uh, restaurants around New York. And he himself will admit that he learned the value of brands and how these companies need to operate in order to survive. So this makes it easier for these activists to both identify problems and potential fixes, and also gives them a certain level of credibility with other shareholders that they can be trusted to uh, make good advice. So what are examples then of things an activist might do at a retail company if they got on the board? Well, the nice thing about retail, and I, I want to expand it, not just retail, but consumers in general. First of all, they have tend to have a lot of different assets. Uh, that could be a brand, it could be side businesses, and has property. And they tend to have a lot of employees and a very complicated cost structure. Now, all of those things can be addressed. Um, a good example would be Bed Bath & Beyond, which was targeted by activists in 2019. Since then, has sold off six or seven separate business lines that it had under its umbrella, netting over $600 million. Also, a lot of these companies own the property in which their shops are based. And a typical move for activists is to push for these properties to be sold and then leased back, the so-called sale leaseback approach. And that is a way to unlock value and free up money that can be used to expand the business in other areas or buy back shares or reduce debt which is often a overhanging issue with consumer companies. And changes like that may be one reason why activist campaigns against consumer companies tend to pay above market returns. According to our data, the average follow return for campaigns against consumer companies by dedicated activists is roughly 30% versus around 8.6% for all sectors combined which shows that uh, the changes that are made by these activists in many cases do result in positive return on investment. Meanwhile, in Europe this year, obviously local activists seem to be more engaged, while American activists are backing off. So what's behind that trend? Well, it's simply a case of the Americans have tended to focus their campaigns at home in the United States over the last year, driven by the opportunities that we discussed in the consumer sector the rise of the SPAC trend, which has enticed a lot of activists to raise money that way, and the value of U.S. stocks, which fell dramatically, offering buying opportunities for a lot of Americans. But beyond that, the Europeans have become more comfortable with activism. Uh, You're seeing more activist funds emerge in the region, and investors in Europe, including pension funds and like, have become more comfortable in, in supporting you know, the, the moves by local activists. Well, as a result, you know, the clout of European activists is just greater than it ever was. And uh, companies, I think, are starting to take notice of it. I mean, last year, for every company targeted by US activists, four were targeted by European activists. And so far this year, well, at least as, as of mid-March, only one company had been targeted by US-based activists, Artisan at Danon, while five companies have been targeted by European activists. In the magazine, there's also a story about Warrior Met Coal being attractive to activists. Why would anyone invest in a coal company when the trend is so obviously towards renewables? Well, Warrior Coal is a little different than the typical coal company you might be thinking of, in that they specialise in producing high-quality coal 
for the steel industry. Coal is a, is a key component of steel manufacturing. Uh, you can't do it without it. It needs a special kind of coal that Warrior really specializes in. It is a dirty business, but uh, if you think about Jeff Ulben, Inclusive Capital, formerly Value Act, he's told our magazine that his goal is to invest in critical industries that are doing harm, helping them to turn themselves around and do less harm. Now, Warrior Met Coal, you could say, falls into that category. It's a company that is producing something that will remain in demand, but things could be done to improve its performance and its image. Even on a cosmetic level, things could be improved. It's notable that one of its closest rivals, Arch Coal, last year changed its name to Arch Resources and put a very um, ESG-friendly spin on its marketing. While that it may sound like cosmetic changes or greenwashing, their share price has actually outperformed Warrior Coal's ever since. But also, they could do things to improve the pollution produced by production of the coal and um, prepare the company for increased regulatory scrutiny. Now, Warrior Coal is, unlike many of its U.S. coal companies, exclusively currently exports its, its product overseas. Now, the companies that it exports to themselves tend to be very dirty. You know, steel production in Europe or Latin America. Now, the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission has been indicating that it wants companies to offer more disclosure on what they call scope three emissions, which is basically emissions by customers. Now, if Warrior Coal is required to do that, that could quite a burden for them. So having an ESG-focused activist on the board might help them prepare for that sort of eventuality. And finally, on the magazine, are there any other stories readers should look out for? Well, you might want to take a look at our focus on the short campaign against XL Fleet, which makes hybrid electrification for f- of fleet vehicles, uh, which Muddy Waters has claimed, you know, is inflating its numbers and projecting a far rosier picture of its future than its numbers can support. Now, what's sort of interesting about it is that XL Fleet went public via a SPAC, which has become very, very popular in the market these days. And it's seen as a way for a lot of companies to go public with, frankly, less scrutiny than would be required if they went by a traditional IPO. So the Muddy Waters campaign against XL Fleet, which it says rather bluntly, it calls middle of the fairway SPAC garbage, is sort of an indicator that activists, uh, especially on the short side, are looking at these companies as potential targets going forward. Now, as a new regular feature of the podcast, myself and Jason will look at Activist Insight Online's latest in-depth article. You can find all of our in-depth articles under the News tab on Activist Insight Online. And you never need to miss one again because you can simply set up an alert straight to your inbox whenever we publish an in-depth piece. In fact, you can do the same with all of our products. Just visit our website to set your alerts up. So Jason, the in-depth that we're going to touch on now covered a top 10 investor in health insurance marketplace eHealth, telling Activist Insight Online that it backs board changes sought by Starboard Value. So please tell us more. Yes, this is an interesting case on a couple of fronts. First of all, they had just reached a settlement giving a board seat to Doug Bernstein's Hudson Executive Capital. But apparently Starboard Value didn't think those changes were enough and decided to jump in and make its own nominations, which is something that Starboard 
has done in other cases over the years. They're not afraid to jump in there when other activists have already been kicking it around. And it's fair to say that uh, Starboard has a point. E-health, despite being in what you might think is a promising industry, which is offering health insurance services online, has really been underperforming its its peers. Example, uh, enterprise value to adjusted EBITDA of 14.4 versus over 50 for median peers, uh, which really shows that they've been underperforming. So there's probably a lot to be done at this company, and Starboard Value has a track record of getting its way when it makes a play. And we've been told, kind of on background, by a top 10 investor in eHealth that uh, they are very supportive of the changes sought by Starboard Value. You know, they didn't tell us much beyond that. You know, they described the nominations of four directors as uh, should be seen as positive. So we'll have to keep track on that. That's it for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe to Activist Insight Monthly by emailing subscriptions at insightia.com. Also remember that our free definitive annual review is out now for you to download. Just visit the reports page on our website and that is available to everybody. Also available for everybody and coming soon will be our Europe report and of course an accompanying podcast. And if you like, join the conversation by using the hashtag ActivistInsightPodcast on Twitter. And if you want something discussed on a future episode, simply email press at insightia.com. Finally, please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using. It really does help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul. Thank you for listening.